0: Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him.
1: About brotherly love, you don't need me to write to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. Second Timothy one five. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and and now I am convinced is in you also. Praise it be to God.
0: On this Mother's Day, I wanted to go and look at two of the most overlooked characters in all the New Testament. You've probably never heard their names before, Um, but I want to start with a question. Who has been the most influential person, besides Jesus? You're not allowed to answer Jesus, okay? Um, Who's been the most influential person in your life? Think on it for a moment. Let the names and the faces kind of roll through your mind, and then when you're ready, if you're comfortable, just shout them out. Who's been the most influential person in your life? Who's had the biggest impact on your life? White? Oh, good man. (laughs) Grandpa? Mom? Oh, man, it's Mother's Day. You're not, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) suck-ups. No. So these people who you've mentioned, right, um, I know personally one of them right, because I have the same grandpa, but other than that, I, I don't know any of these people that you've mentioned. Well, I know, I know Katie, I guess, but I don't really know any of these people, and chances are that no one else in this room knew any of those people that you shouted out that you mentioned either. You know, the people who have had the biggest impact on your life, who have been most influential in your life, aside from Jesus, they're probably not people who have any fame outside of your little circle. They're not people who, who aspired to, to some kind of, of worldwide recognition. They aspired to be huge influencers. They, they were happy. They were content to, to influence the people that God had given them, to lead and to care for and to love the people that God had given them. They're not household names across the world. I very much doubt that any person in this room, if, if I ask that question again, would name some celebrity, either a politician or an actor or actress or, or even some great leader. Right? I, I very much doubt that Nelson Mandela has been as influential in your life as some of those people that you mentioned. Right? Great man, good stuff happening, not nearly as influential. I highly doubt any of you who grew up in the church that Billy Graham is as influential as your own mother or your grandmother, or your father, or your grandfather, or your sisters or brothers. I very much doubt that the people who have made the biggest impact on your life are known outside of your family or circles. Very much at all. And yet, we live in a world that, that longs for influence. Right? I've got to be honest. Like, part of me wishes that we were a church of, of 10,000, and that every week I were preaching to 10,000, because my own ego wants that. But then every thing else in me says, that's, that's not what God has called you or us to. God has given me a certain people to care for and to love and to lead. And my call is just to be content with that. The call in all of our lives is to be content with the people God has given us to lead. And to remember and to comfort ourselves with the fact that God doesn't expect us to do anything with stuff he hasn't given us. God doesn't hold us to some standard and expect us to be these monstrous influencers over everybody and all kinds of people in our lives. He expects us to be faithful with the people that He's given us and with the things that He's placed into our hands. God will not hold you responsible for things He has not given you, but He does hold you responsible for the things He has. And He calls us in contentment to go and to love and to influence the people that He's put into our lives. And so today I want to talk about these two two women in the Bible who, again, you've probably never heard of. They get one verse, and yet, I would argue they are some of the most influential people in all of church history. Some of the most influential people in the Scriptures. And yet they get one passing mention in this letter to Timothy. Now, in two places, the Apostle Paul has Uh, gone out of his way to let us know what Christian faithfulness really looks like. And for a lot of us, this is very different from the ambitions we have for our lives. It's very different from the ambitions we might have as young people when we first start following Jesus. Or, Or it looks very different from the ambitions we might have if we are influenced by a culture that says, you need to have as much influence and as many followers as possible. So I want to turn to 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 first. Listen to what Paul says here. First of all then, he's writing to a young pastor, Timothy, in the city of Ephesus. First of all then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Okay, you want to know what God's will for your life is? It's right there. I just read it for you. You want to know God's will for your life? That you would lead a quiet and tranquil life in all godliness and dignity. That's all God needs from you. That's all God is calling you to. That's all he wants for you. And it's more than enough. Now, listen to what he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12, which Terry read for us about brotherly love. You don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Hold it for one second. Don't you want God to say that about you? Like, wouldn't that be amazing for God to write that to Christ Community Church to us? Like, I don't even need to talk to you about love because you guys are so good at it. You don't even need instructions. But I'm going to do it anyway. Um, In fact, you're doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. So Paul says, look, you guys are amazing at loving each other. You're like PhDs in loving one another. But I want you to do it even better. Do it even more than you've been doing. To do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. So here, the Apostle Paul is saying, you guys are loving one another. And you know what loving one another looks like? It looks like minding your own business, going about your day, working with your own hands, and leading a quiet life of godliness, of holiness. That's what God is calling his church to. And believe it or not, he's doing this in order that they may be all the more influential. Listen to this last verse work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. The Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to lead a quiet life. God wants you to lead a quiet, holy life, a life of ordinary faithfulness to God, so that outsiders will see you and know your God. They'll know Jesus by looking at you, the way you conduct yourself. And so you're not dependent on anyone. So you don't have to be dependent upon this, the wicked systems of the world. So you don't have to be dependent upon the economy out there. I want you to lead quiet lives, work with your own hands, be strong, be a strong community so that you can be independent as a community. And so that when outsiders look at you, they know who you represent. And you'll be more influential if you don't try to make big waves. You'll be more influential if you don't try to stand up and to, to fight and to, and to make your name known and, and to, to gain as much influence as you can. In fact, you'll be more influential with outsiders if you lead this kind of ordinary faithfulness than you would be if you stand up and make noise. Now, this has to be qualified. right? We're about to talk about Timothy. Uh, Timothy was a protege of the Apostle Paul. He, followed, he went traveled around with Paul. They preached in public places. They preached in marketplaces. They were trying to build the church. Timothy ultimately became the pastor of the church in Ephesus, ultimately became the bishop of the church in Ephesus in one of the biggest, most renowned cities in all of the known world at the time. And we're told by church tradition that Timothy was martyred because there was this great parade through the city of Ephesus to the goddess Diana. And Timothy's out there preaching, trying to get the pagans to come and follow Jesus. And the pagans get so mad at Timothy that they beat him with clubs and they kill him. There's a time for making waves. All right, there's a time to stand up and to be bold and to speak out. and Paul is not precluding that with these instructions. He's not saying there's never a time that you don't need to stand up and speak up and let your voice be heard and to pursue justice and rightness. There's, there, he's not saying you just have to be content with the world as it is and, and never push back against the evils of the world. But in everyday living, in the normal course of your life, Paul is saying, This is God's ideal for you, that you would lead a quiet, tranquil life, a life of peace and of contentment, so that when people look at your life, they wonder where that contentment comes from. Because I'll tell you what, the world ain't a content place. Most of the people in the church are not in a content place. But Paul knows that contentment is a gift of God. Paul knows that contentment is something that is so elusive and so hard to grasp, except through Jesus Christ, that contentment will mark you out as bizarre among your peers, among outsiders. And that's why he's calling these people to contentment. He's calling us to contentment, to look at the influence God has given us, the people that God has given us to love and be content to love them and to care for them and to live lives of quiet and tranquil godliness. And there are these two women who Paul points out in 2nd Timothy who did just that, Lois and Eunice. So let me tell you a story. Paul, the apostle, is traveling around with his buddy Silas. And in Acts chapter 14, we read that Paul and Silas, they're, they're traveling about, and they get to this town called Lystra. And in Lystra, they're preaching, they're doing what they normally do. They go to the marketplace, first they go to the synagogue, then they go to the marketplace, and they're preaching the gospel of Jesus in the marketplace in this very pagan city. And there, there's someone who is crippled. And so Paul heals this crippled guy. And all of the pagans around think that Paul is a god. They think that Paul is an incarnation of, of a deity. And so they get all of their buddies around, and they're telling them, oh oh my gosh, one of the gods is among us. One of the gods is here. They just healed this guy who couldn't be healed. Like, there's a God. And and so they began to call Paul. I can't remember who they said Paul was. Silas, um, they called another god. Man, I can't remember right now. But anyway, they called Paul and Silas gods. They begin to worship them, and Paul goes, hold up. Whoa, don't... Do that, right? We're here on behalf of God Most High. We're here on behalf of Yahweh and Jesus Christ. And so Paul and Silas take this this attention that's given to them and they point instead to God. Now, the thought is that as they're preaching in Lystra, there are these two women, Lois and Eunice. Lois is Eunice's mom. Lois and Eunice are there in Lystra and they hear the preaching of Paul. Now, Lois and Eunice are Jewish women. And they've studied the Scriptures, and they are on the lookout for Messiah. They're waiting for Messiah. They're eager for him to come and to free them. And so they hear the preaching of Paul, and they're moved by it. And they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Eunice has a son named Timothy. The problem is Eunice's husband is a Greek guy. You can read about this in Acts chapter 16 when Paul meets Timothy for the first time. Eunice's husband is a Greek guy. He's a pagan. He's a Gentile. He, he's not Jewish. He doesn't read the Jewish scriptures. He doesn't care to be faithful to the Jewish God. We know this because Timothy isn't circumcised, which is mandatory for Jewish boys. But Timothy's dad didn't care to have him circumcised, so Timothy never was. So we know that Timothy's dad is not a faithful Jewish guy. He's not even a convert to Judaism. He's just some Greek guy. But Eunice is a faithful Jew, and now she's heard the preaching of Paul. She's put her faith in Jesus because she's been looking for Messiah, and she has been teaching Timothy the scriptures from the time he was an infant. Lois, her mother, Eunice, Timothy's mom, have been pouring into Eunice's son Timothy the scriptures, the holy scriptures, and Timothy has grown up eagerly anticipating Messiah to come. And so Timothy, under the influence of Eunice and his grandmother Lois, now believes in Jesus. He's been following Jesus. So about seven years after Paul goes to Lystra and preaches, and, and Lois and Eunice hear that first message, Paul comes back to Lystra. There's a nearby town called Derby, and so we're told in Acts 16 that Paul comes to Derby and Lystra. And as he gets there, he hears from people, hey, you got to meet this kid, Tim. He's amazing. He loves Jesus. He is faithful. You, you, you got you to come and talk to him. And so Paul goes and meets Timothy and finds that, yeah, Timothy is, in fact, this very faithful follower of Jesus. And Paul, right then, kind of takes Timothy under his wing and says, hey, you're coming with me, kid. And Timothy jumps up and goes with Paul and Silas and begins to travel around with them. And Timothy becomes Paul's very right-hand man, Timothy is, in fact, the one who wrote a lot of the letters that we have in the New Testament, the epistles that we have that Paul wrote. Timothy is the one who actually wrote them down in his hand. You can read this in the postscript at the end of some of those letters. As Paul says, Timothy is his amanuensis. That's the person who actually writes out the words that Paul is dictating to him. Timothy wrote this to you. And then eventually, Paul comes to trust Timothy so much that Paul sends Timothy back to some of these churches that he's previously been to. And so Timothy gets sent to the church in Thessalonica to serve them and to care for them. He gets sent to the, eventually, he gets sent to the church in Ephesus, where Timothy sets up and becomes the leader of the church in Ephesus. And when Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus, he says, I'm sending you there because there is such a strong pagan influence and there is such strong false teaching within the church that Timothy, I need you to clear this up. And so Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus in order to lead the church. Now, some years after Timothy gets sent to Ephesus, the apostle John and Jesus' very mother Mary move to Ephesus as well. And so John partners with Timothy there, and they become bishops of the church in Ephesus, which conveniently links to our series in Revelation as we've been talking about John writing to Ephesus as their bishop, as their leader. But Timothy's right there beside John, leading the church in Ephesus. And it all started when he was this teenage boy raised by Eunice, taught the scriptures, taught to look out for Messiah, and who comes to faith in Jesus. All of this, the entire legacy of Timothy comes down to the faithfulness of his mother and grandmother. The entire legacy of Timothy is due to his mother and his grandmother denying the influence of Eunice's Greek husband, denying the influences of the pagan world around them and saying, no, we will stay faithful to Yahweh. We will stay faithful to the God of the Scripture. We will stay faithful to him, and we will look for his Messiah. And when they found the Messiah, when they found Jesus, putting their faith in him and passing that faith on to Timothy, the entire legacy of Timothy is down to the faithfulness of Lois and Eunice. And without Timothy... Without Timothy, we don't have a good section of our New Testament. Right? Timothy is one of the most influential people in the New Testament era. He's one of the most influential people in the early church who gets almost no credit because all we think of with Timothy is these two, verse, two chapters or two books, letters that Paul wrote to him. I mean, that, that's all we really get. We call them pastoral letters because Paul is teaching Timothy how to pastor and love the people of Ephesus in these letters. But behind the scenes, Timothy is a guy of ordinary faithfulness who just does what he is asked and in his faithfulness leads the church. All because his mom and his grandma said, we're going to love our God, we're going to be faithful to our God, and we are going to raise Timothy up to love him too. Timothy had a couple ways he could go. He could follow the influence of his father. He could go the way of his dad, which would have been natural. It would have been right and natural for Timothy at about seven or eight years old to begin to accompany his father in his trade or whatever his father was doing and be trained up in that world and in his place. But instead, Timothy is being taught and raised by his mom. Timothy is being poured into by this strong woman, Lois, who despite the influence of her husband is being faithful to her God to her Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the influence that ordinary faithfulness has in the world. That's why these other letters, that's why God calls us to quiet, ordinary faithfulness faithfulness. You don't have to be a missionary in the deepest, darkest parts of the world. You don't have to have a platform of thousands upon thousands. You don't need all of the influence that the world says you need in order to make any kind of difference in the world. All you have to do is be faithful with what God has given you to the people that God has given you to love and to lead. And if you're here saying, God hasn't given me any people, then you're wrong. God has given you people to love and to care for and to lead. And the way that he calls you to do that is through these acts of ordinary faithfulness. Just like Lois and Eunice, studying the scriptures, knowing him, being being allegiant and and being totally given over to Jesus Christ, saying, you know what, everything that I do, I'm going to do for Jesus, Everything that I'm going to do, I'm going to do as though I'm working for God and not for people. That's what ordinary faithfulness looks like. But too many of us get caught up and, and, and afraid because we, we think we need so much more than that. Or we think that, that the acts of faithfulness are really acts that are reserved for the clergy or for the professional people or for the elders or for the leaders or for the, the big people. But in, in reality, God has called us all to this kind of ordinary faithfulness. Just to read his word, to know his scripture, just as Lois and Eunice did. To be faithful to him and and to allow him to influence everything we do. To pray with him. to, To speak to our God. To be consciously connected to him all the time. And to undertake everything that we do as though we are representatives of God. And so parents, on this Mother's Day, if you're wondering, how do I raise my kids? What do, what do I do for my kids? Do I need to get them enrolled in some church program? Do I need to get them into a Christian school? Oh, my gosh. Or do I need to, what, do I need to put them into some place? Do I, need to, do, do I need to hand over the discipleship of my kids to someone else because I'm not qualified for it? The answer is no. And the same is true for you with your friends, with your other family members. With your spouse? In the church, we have created so many curriculum and criteria and and so many programs of discipleship and of growing that we've taught our people that, hey, you can't do this without some kind of church-approved program or curriculum. You can't do this without some ordained pastor or, or some recognized leader teaching you. You can't do it on your own. That's what we've implicitly told people as we've built up program after program after program after program. And so we've, we've taught our people, we've trained our people to believe that you're not equipped and qualified. You are as equipped and qualified as Eunice and Lois were. You are as equipped and qualified as the Holy Spirit who lives within you. You are as equipped and qualified to lead the people God has given you to lead as you need to be if you will simply practice ordinary faithfulness in your life. If you will simply say, Lord, I'm yours, and everything that I do is for your good. Everything that I do is for your kingdom. If you will just give yourself over to Jesus, if you'll live in ordinary faithfulness, then these programs that you think are so necessary you may find aren't. Now, I am not advocating not being in the church. Don't hear me say that because part of ordinary faithfulness is being engaged with a body of believers. Part of ordinary faithfulness is being in the church, connected to the family of Christ, fellowshipping with the people outside of your nuclear family and of your home, and worshiping together and growing together, and seeking out those teachers and leaders who are more qualified in certain ways. Those do matter. And so part of ordinary faithfulness is engaging with the church, but part of ordinary faithfulness is not enrolling in every church program you can find. Because if you do that, you'll never actually influence anybody outside the church. You'll never be able to love your neighbors if the only neighbors you have are those who are in the church. Ordinary faithfulness means being connected to the family of God in the church and then living out your faith in The presence of outsiders, as Paul called them. Just pursuing Jesus and not needing a program to do it. Eugene Peterson, Pastor Eugene Peterson, wrote this amazing book called um, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I commend it to you. Read it. Go read it. But this is a quote from, from that book. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. I'm afraid that for too many of us within our evangelical churches, that's exactly what church is that it's a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. If I don't have anything more important going on, I'll go and engage with the church. But what Peterson is saying here is that in all of our programming, in all of our sensationalizing, in all of our fog machines and our rock bands, and in all of the things that we have done to become attractive, we've adopted a church model that says, this is good for you when you have time. But what Christ calls us to, in the words of Peterson here, and what Christ calls us to in in the words of Timothy and of Thessalonians, what he calls us to is a long apprenticeship with Jesus. What he calls us to is, is a long and sometimes boring, yes, the Christian life can be very boring at times, and that's okay. But a long and sometimes boring program of discipleship of knowing Jesus, of practicing virtues, of building up within ourselves what Eugene Peterson here calls and what the Bible calls holiness. Becoming like Jesus in every way. That's the mission of the Christian. And the way that we pursue the holiness of Christ, the way that we pursue Christ-likeness in everything that we are is through these acts of ordinary faithfulness. Not through some six-week program that will transform how you share the gospel but through a lifelong commitment to ordinarily, faithfully following Jesus Christ, letting him influence everything that we do. And so that means knowing the scripture, reading the scripture. That means singing the songs, worshiping and praising throughout our days and throughout our weeks. It means faithfully praying, gathering with the church, loving our neighbors, and doing everything with God in mind. In short, ordinary faithfulness means doing all the boring stuff of life for Jesus. And when we do that, that's when we will have the greatest impact on those around us. That's when we'll have the greatest impact on the people that God has given us to care for, on our children, our spouses, our siblings, our neighbors, and those most importantly who don't yet know Jesus. It's through the acts of content, ordinary faithfulness that God has seen fit to change the world. And it's through acts of content, ordinary faithfulness that God will see fit to transform the hearts of the people he's given you to care for. Let's pray. God, thank you for calling us to ordinary faithfulness. Thank you for the influence of these women, Eunice and Lois. And for all of the other women of the New Testament who you have called out, for Phoebe, and for Lydia, and for Junia, and for all of the other women of the New Testament who are honored. Thank you for this example in Scripture, for for Jesus empowering women, for Paul empowering women. Thank you for the women of history who have stood up for the gospel of Jesus Christ when the men around them wouldn't. Thank you, Lord, for the powerful example of the women in our lives who have taken up banners for Christ and have pressed forward into a dark world. Thank you for the women in our lives who have loved and cared for and nurtured and led. Thank you for them. Thank you for the women in our world right now who are leading who are leading the charge for justice, who are leading the charge for equity, who are leading the charge for shalom in our communities. And I pray, Lord, as a church, that we would stand up and we would honor them and we would follow them and that the men among us would be humble enough to say, follow her into paths of justice and shalom. Just as Timothy followed his mom and his grandma into faithfulness to you. Thank you so much, God, for giving us these women to lead us. Thank you for your gospel, for grace. Thank you for calling us to ordinary faithfulness. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for equipping us to do just that, to live contentedly in a broken world, faithful to Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org.